Have you ever had that anxiety dream where you're in the backseat of a car and you're speeding down a hill and then you suddenly realize that no one is in the driver's seat? You have to struggle to reach the steering wheel before disaster can strike and you have to regain control before the danger overtakes you. I've been told it's a fairly common dream. In fact, it was even featured in the 2019 JLo movie Hustlers. I feel like this dream is a good stand-in for my fear of getting older. Age comes at us faster and faster, and it takes us a moment to realize we're not in control like we were in our youth. Someone or something else is going to decide when we're no longer interesting or beautiful enough to be in the driver's seat. This episode is about what it feels like in that back seat and how we can work to steer the car. I'm Amy Porterfield, and this is Talking Body. Recently, I sat down with Marsha Kilgore, whose name is renowned in the beauty space. She's been in the industry for over 30 years and created more brands than I could possibly list here. Bliss, Soap and Glory, and her latest, Beauty Pie, are just some you might be familiar with. I asked her how, with her years of experience in the beauty game specifically, she manages to stay true to herself against pressures to change her appearance. I focus quite a lot on things that are not so visual or fleeting. For me, learning uh, maybe a language or, you know, studying or developing skills or, you know, are more important to me and something I prioritize more than the latest fashion trends. And while I'm interested in beautiful design, I, I learned really early on what fits my body, what looks good on me, you know, what kind of haircut is flattering for me. And, and I may have, you know, switched and tried a few things up over the years, but always found that I'd go back to the same thing. And I think that your personal style, you can you can kind of cement it early on and it's your comfort zone and it makes you feel confident and, you know, trying to constantly run after something to look like everybody else um, is, is really, you know, not the best use of your energy or your spirit. Please forgive the audio. Marsha was kind enough to speak to me from the UK. I admire Marsha's ability to stay true to who she is, even when faced with pressure, both from society and the industry where she leads. I really wish I could be like that, but it doesn't come as easily for me. For the women we spoke to ahead of this episode, their feelings on getting older were mixed. I'm afraid that it'll make me look so much older and I shouldn't care about looking older because I am older, but I've always been proud of the fact that I didn't look my age. I'm starting to think about doing things that would either slow or reverse the signs of aging. Um, specifically talking, speaking about Botox, I have plenty of friends who have been doing it for years. I have plenty of friends who would never do it and, and kind of give me negative opinions about me thinking about doing it. As far as covering my grays, I can't wait to go gray. I am so excited for it. I have been thinking about Botox um, 
because you just become very self-conscious when you smile and laugh and i mean it's nice wrinkles really right but it's just you become uh, very self-conscious about it especially with all the filters and everything that's that's going on online so um it's something i may consider but not just yet you know when i first got gray hairs i was like oh this is weird but then i like termed them like i earned them you know like they're wisdom hairs they're like you know they're they're part of me now and i have to accept them i feel like the older i get actually the more confident i get and the more comfortable i get in my skin i place less of the emphasis on my appearance versus like who i am like i think that has come with like age whereas like when i was a teenager and and going through that body image hardcore phase, I think I definitely put too much emphasis on the physical or too much pressure on that. I guess as I age, my thought in terms of my beauty routine is along the lines of what can I do to make myself feel good and like take care of? Like, so particularly my skin, like what does my skin need at this age? Should I be considering other things? Like, should I be wearing sunscreen all the time to, you know, prevent my face from drying out and maybe I'll have less wrinkles, you know? So it's like, am I doing it because I want to be healthy? Or am I doing it because I'm disguising it as wanting to be healthy, but maybe it's because I want less wrinkles? <laughs> or is it like both? For me, I feel like I'm constantly working against a ticking clock, a countdown to the day when I will become irrelevant, when people look at me and see a woman past her prime and they won't want to listen to what I have to say. This is a concern that I've had a hard time getting to the bottom of. First, I wondered if this fear betrayed an internal bias of my own. The truth is there aren't a lot of older women entrepreneurs that I can look up to mostly because there aren't a lot of women entrepreneurs, period. But when I do see older women in these spaces, I don't feel like I'm dismissive of their experiences or their ideas. In fact, I feel the opposite. When I see a woman who is older than me, who seems from the outside to be content with her place in the world, more than anything, I want her to let me in on her secret. So then I started to wonder if this fear exposed a secret vanity in myself. This felt a bit absurd at first, considering all of the time and effort I've put into picking apart my appearance and criticizing my weight. However, if I'm worrying about some future point where I'm going to dip below the threshold of acceptable attractiveness for a woman in the public space, doesn't that necessarily mean that I believe I'm above that threshold now? The answer, I think, is more complicated than that. Oftentimes, for work, my team posts throwback images and videos of me. I've been building my business for well over a decade now, so there's quite the archive to choose from. Whenever I see videos or photos of me from, let's say, 10 years ago, I feel dread pool in my stomach. Part of me goes immediately into targeting mode scanning the image for bulges, wrinkles, any perceivable imperfection. Another part of me feels a sharp stab of jealousy mixed with regret. That's what I thought was fat? Really? I'd give anything to look like that again. The point of telling you this is that I don't look in the mirror and see someone who is currently thin 
and young and beautiful enough to capture attention. I see someone who is working hard enough to overcome the parts of myself I feel insecure about. And when I look back to those throwback images and videos, I see years and years of diminishing returns on that work. My male counterparts don't seem to share the same concern. I can't remember the last time one of my peers, who were men, confided in me their anxiety about staying relevant. My husband, Hobie, who always works so hard to see things from my own perspective, is similarly befuddled by my fears. It has never occurred to him that people wouldn't be interested in what he has to say. It reminds me, again, of Dr. Diedrich's telling us about social capital. Hobie has all sorts of social capital, from being a firefighter, being a leader in his community, being kind, being smart, and if you ask me, being one handsome son of a gun. So he can't relate to what it feels like for my social capital to be so wrapped up in my weight and appearance. Although I hate to admit this, my solution to this problem of aging is the same as my solution to almost everything else in my life. Outwork the problem until it's so far in the rearview mirror that I can barely see it anymore. If I can build my business big enough, secure my legacy early enough, then maybe I can inoculate myself against the forces that will inevitably want to do away with me. Trying to outwork my age sounds absurd, I know. But I did a little research, and it turns out that it's not totally irrational. Women over 65 in the U.S. are much more likely to live in poverty than men with significantly higher percentages for women of color and women who are not married. These statistics follow a horrible logic. Earning potential and financial security for women is often tied to traditional gender dynamics, such as the husband serving as the breadwinner, and is also impacted by racism baked into our economy. Black, Hispanic, and Native women are almost twice as likely to live in poverty than white women of similar age, and women who have never been married are five times as likely to experience poverty than married women. So maybe a part of me is right to focus on building a business that's bigger than myself when every statistic I read confirms my worst fear. Older women are generally seen as disposable in a way that older men are not. One of the starkest examples can be seen in our media, where women face intense scrutiny over their appearance. Consider all the magazine inches dedicated to examining red carpet photos for signs of Botox or filler. Or what about the internet slideshows of how so-and-so actress has, quote, changed over the years? A thin excuse to point out the ways her face has succumbed to its natural process. It's an unwinnable gamut for women actors. If you try to hold on to youth with procedures and fillers, you're called pathetic and shallow. But if you allow yourself to age normally, they will drown you in scarves and floor-length sweaters and relegate you to supporting roles. That is, if they cast you at all. Consider Academy Award winner Sally Field who played Tom Hanks' love interest in the 1988 comedy Punchline. 
Six years later, in Forrest Gump, she played his mother. The exception to this rule seems to be, of course, Meryl Streep. This is probably why I'm obsessed with being the Meryl of online marketing. Norma Kamali first began selling her now iconic sleeping bag coats in the 1970s. After a camping trip left her inspired to see the utilitarian parachute fabric in a new way. Now she oversees the Kamali fashion empire and her parachute collection is displayed in museums across the globe. Throughout her five decades in the fashion industry, her work has always been infused with activism. She was one of the first public figures to speak openly about the AIDS crisis in the 80s after losing several of her friends to the disease. In 2012, she founded StopObjectification.com in order to spotlight issues facing young women and girls in the fashion industry. Most recently, she's been at the vanguard of designers modifying their designs to help combat the spread of COVID-19. When I sat down to chat with Norma over Zoom, the first thing I was struck by is how magnetic her presence is. She is undeniably glamorous with chic oversized glasses and a glossy sheet of straight black hair. She was incredible. Norma, thank you so much for being here. We're honored to have you. Well, thank you. I'm happy to be here. This is going to be such a great conversation. So I want to jump right in. My first question is, has the way you think about your appearance changed as you've gotten older? Did you ever struggle with your self-image? I've never met a woman who hasn't. And I am clearly in that category. Um, I think we struggle with it constantly. I think it's so closely connected to our identity as little girls in a carriage. Everybody has to say how pretty the little girl is. Uh, They don't have to say that about the little boy. So that imprint is with us and, um, and we own it in a way, but we also sometimes uh, are owned by the, the incredible power of image. It's so true. Has your, image about yourself changed as you've gotten older? Well, the the beauty of aging is you, first of all, are so much wiser and feel more confident because of wisdom, but you also don't give a shit about the little things. So I don't give a shit about a lot now that I used to care a lot about, especially when my hormones were raging. So clearly my attitude is a big factor in my uh, perception these days. It's so very true. So you've spoken about how the fashion industry prizes women when they're at their most vulnerable. So in their late teens and early twenties. And this really stuck with me because it reminds me of something that I've been struggling with. I feel like I look back on images of myself when I was younger and I think, wow, I look so good. But then I also remember being that age and hating the way I looked. So how can we as women break this cycle of constantly looking back and then feeling regret? Well, you know, I, I think more of us are talking about it now and we, um, 
we also, and, and a very big part of my book, Amy, is to really talk about um, the importance of aging with power because looking at youth through a very rose-colored lens is so unrealistic. Um, you know, I, I know a lot of girls in their 20s I happily, I'm surrounded by them and I love them dearly. But just like I was and you and, and all, of, all of us women, in our 20s, we are so vulnerable and we get hurt and we, get, we learn some incredible lessons about dating, relationships, sex, our bodies, our, our, our abilities that we get beaten up and we get taken advantage of, we get objectified, we objectify ourselves for love and we, our, our self-image is the most confused, I think, in, in the decades of our lives. And so no matter what I might've looked like, I do not want to relive that. Thank you very much, done, over. I've been there, done that. I don't want that again. So we've talked to a lot of women for this podcast, including putting a call out to our audience and chatting with dozens of women on Zoom. And one thing that we heard from a lot of women is that the things that they used to hyper fixate on about their bodies when they were younger matter less to them now. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned something earlier that was just so perfect. Like the things you used to worry about then you just don't now. What, what's different beyond, you know, better, but why do you think that is that we're able to hyper fixate less now than when we were younger? Well, for me, um, and, and I, I emphasize a lot of this in the book. For me, healthy lifestyle is my anchor for this. And we all, um, you know, we're all so different and, and our genetic makeup is different. There's, we're, we're completely different. But the one thing that is really important is to be healthy, right? So the kind of food you eat, the kind of exercise you do, the way you love yourself, the decisions you make to, to love yourself are really important in how you feel totally about your mind, your body, your spiritual self. And um, there are some times that um, I feel stressed and I don't, I'm not showing the love to myself and I go, off the rails and I'm not healthy. Um, and to me, healthy means caring about your sleep, caring about the quality of food you eat and, and making sure you move every day. If everybody does that, there's something about being in control of who you are, how you feel, how you look, like working out, is an incredible thing. Not only does it make you feel better, but it tells you that you can get past a challenge. You can get like, you wanna, you wanna do a split. Now, like, oh, oh, one day you do the split. Well, then you think, well, maybe I can get that job at that company. Like I, I, I have this confidence. So those three things 
have an incredible impact on self-esteem and how you feel about yourself. And so self-love is something most women do not take the time to give themselves as they should. We're busy nurturing a lot of other people. We're busy worrying about things that, that have to do with other people. But if you don't really take time to love yourself, you put out sort of this negative energy. But if you love yourself, you put out great energy and you draw amazing people to you. And so I think that that's my feeling about how I feel about myself, my body. Like I, it, it really has more to do with self-love and it can come in many forms. But for me, healthy lifestyle of really making decisions. For me, mentally, those things are so important. And, um, and I think it, they're all easy. You know, they're just easy. Uh, definitely. And I love that as you look at health, you look at it so holistically, all these different areas and moving your body and eating well and the mindset and the sleep, I think that all of that is so important. And I love to hear that you, you definitely prioritize that, but I also love you saying, and sometimes I don't, it, it, there's oh, totally, yeah. totally. It's like too many rules are not good because then you're, you're always feeling bad. And the, 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 the outcome you want is that you feel good. But if you go off the rails, it's like, get back. You know, if you let it go too long, it's like, oh, my God, what did I, you know, this is not good. And then you don't feel good and you don't look good and you're not clear. Um, but it, it's it's really um, it, it's such an empowering feeling to know that what you're doing for yourself is good for you. Yes. And when you when you're good to yourself, you send out messages, you know, these subtle messages that, that you, you have self-love and not in a narcissistic way, but when you do that, it changes opportunities, everything. And the, the kind of men you meet, I mean, quite frankly, I spent a lot of years attracting some drecky kind of garbage and it was, hello, it's yeah. because, you know, we're hating ourselves. We're doing things. We're not, we're not spending time on us. We think about everybody else first. It's not good. It's yeah. really not good. Totally agree. So one of the things that I've struggled with in this podcast is about me being a student and not the expert in all things, body love and body acceptance. And one thing I've struggled about is as I'm in my forties now, I'm afraid that as I get older, I won't be heard or seen anymore. Um, I won't uh, be relevant. And I'm curious, what would you say to any women, but me specifically in my 40s, about this anxiety that I have? Well, it's real, but um, but it's not going to be for you clearly because look at you now. You you. It, I think what happens is the 40s are um, 
the 40s are amazing because the 40s are when you can monetize your brand, right? Look what you're doing. You're monetizing your brand. You're, you're, you are at a very good point in expressing who you are as your brand. You're helping people. You're doing this wonderful, you know, messaging. It's a, a great thing. And at the same time, it coincides for women, of course, because we're strong. It coincides with perimenopause, this transition that is as big as 30, you come into 50. And so everything you do now to have a powerful self-esteem and sense of self is really important. But the challenge to do that is really great because as you move into your mid forties, you start to feel your body is changing, your hormones are fluctuating, you're um, feeling sort of uncomfortable in your skin. All of these things we're all gonna go through in different ways, but we all go through them. And so having said that is pretty much you can't prevent it, but you can, you can sort of modify how it impacts this great time in your life, right? Yeah. So what I recommend is do everything you can to think about what you're doing, meditation, 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 learn it, make it a part of your life for the rest of your life, if it isn't already. Sleep, obviously, however, sleep becomes more difficult. So rituals for sleep are really important. And I outline a lot in the book. Um, nobody's going to like me when I say this, but find an alternative to alcohol. Sorry. Um, sorry. Um, <laughs> because alcohol creates hormone fluctuation. And if you're already having that, like, do you really want to make it? No. So find other ways to relax. And that's why I say start with meditation, start finding things to substitute. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to say what the substitutes can be or what works for you. But I, I think that that's a really big one. And sugar is another like you really have to think so there, there are certain foods that have a chemical reaction and, and affect us mentally, physically, and emotionally. So it's really trying to understand what those foods are and what foods do the reverse, make you feel better. And there's, you know, there's a lot of evidence that there are foods that can help you through. And exercise, exercise, exercise even if you're already sweating, just like whatever you have to do, just keep moving because that is super helpful. Yeah. Now, agree. also go to a doctor and or doctors and get different opinions about what's right for you through menopause. It's a lot of innovation, a lot of good stuff. What I'm saying is take control as soon as possible, as soon as you feel something's happening so that you're, you're on it. Cause this, you really need to 
be really smart about and deal with properly. Another thing that happens as you get older is you get older and wiser and the challenges in these transitions are greater. So sometimes you get aged out of a marriage. Sometimes you get aged out of a job. Well, you're monetizing your worth. Well, maybe now you're too expensive for a company that can try to reconfigure their expenses and hire somebody less expensive and you're aged out. That's a real, real issue. So what are you doing as backup plans? What else do you have that's going to give you balance and security? How else can you monetize what you're doing so you have other opportunities? And then when you turn 50, it's reinvention, reinvention, you must reinvent. And it's so much fun. It's so much fun. And you really don't give a shit about anything now. You don't. It is 50 is so good. And so how to stay in how to stay visible and not invisible is how you decide to get through 50. And that determines it was a long way to get there. But I wanted to kind of take you through that. And now there on out you're you're visible. It makes perfect sense. It really does. Tell me just one thing that you did you did to reinvent yourself. Um, I had a gorgeous uh, a gorgeous home. It was part of a Woolworth estate. I restored it completely. There was marble and carved cherry wood, and it was just a gorgeous place. And I um, had some very sort of eclectic antiques and furniture that I designed too. And I was sitting in this beautiful room that was the library and looking at how gorgeous everything was. And I was sketching my collection and I absolutely thought to myself, I am not, I'm never going to be able to go forward with my ideas. If I stay trapped in this incredible beauty, but it's keeping me here. It's, it has me in sort of a jail of, of this beauty, but I'm, I'm stuck. I'm not going to be able to go beyond it. I decided that minute that I was going to sell all of my possessions and that I was going to be a minimalist. Now, this is not a time when minimal had any real kind of value. And a friend of mine, um, I went to India for my 50th birthday and I had my astrological chart done by a Brahmin priest. And he said, you're going to get rid of all your possessions. And I said, done and done. Yes. And so now I don't have anything extra that I'm not using. I only have things I use. I don't, if I, if I have something that is not actively part of my daily routine, it's just not there. I give it away. I donate it. Yeah. So, so that's me. And I haven't changed since 50 and I'm 75. So that's 25 years of maintaining my reinvention. Your new book is called I Am Invincible. And it has this really cool, unique cover that's full of text. And near the bottom, it says, 
I will age with power and influence change because I know my purpose. Is that statement an affirmation for you? What do you believe is that purpose? Well, you know, um, earlier in my career, I always felt um, a little uncomfortable with the fact that, you know, here are people developing a cure for cancer and I'm worried about a hemline. Um, and I really felt bad about it. I didn't feel comfortable with my decision, I, even though creatively I loved it. Um, and then I started to listen to people who were wearing my clothes and I'm sure every designer hears this, but there's, there's some transformation that clothes can present uh, for women, me too, uh, and change sort of the event in a way, change how you walk in the event, how you're, how you feel in it, how you dance in the, whatever it is, how you, how you do in a, in a presentation, in a business situation. And so I would hear more and more of that. And I realized that my job was to make women feel good about themselves. And if I can make them feel comfortable in the clothes and, and something happened, then that was a good thing. And then when I got involved with wellness um, 35, 40 years ago, I started to learn a lot more. And I realized by sharing that with women, understanding the quality of food that and how it affects how you feel about yourself and your chemistry and, and just your, your body. Um, I felt I needed to, to share that too. So my purpose is basically to service women and to make them feel good. And the book clearly is uh, a part of that purpose. So tell me this, do you ever feel afraid of getting older and how do you feel about getting older now? Well, I'm 75, so I mean, I'm not afraid. Um, you know, one of the things I did was I I um, I follow women who are older, and I and I love meeting women that are older, and I am so inspired by the older, meaning like 100. And I'm so inspired by them. And I, I read um, for some time about how the cells turn over and they stop turning over in our body. The cells stop turning over at 120. So I decided that I wanted to live to 120. Now, the likelihood that my genetic disposition would not allow me to is very great. Um, and, but I thought by having that goal, um, I would make decisions every day that would be for the positive outcome of me getting closer to it than if I sort of meandered around and didn't really pay attention. So the answer to the question is, no, I'm not afraid of getting old because I'm looking at 120 as a, as an objective. Yeah, so way to go, girl. <laughs> You're good. Yeah. That is a great way to look at it. I love that. That's fantastic. Now, 
It, it really is. And I want to leave you with this final question. What advice would you give to listeners who want to age with power as you have? Well, um, I think the other alternative is so bleak um, because even aging gracefully is not what you want. Aging gracefully is what women felt would be the, the right thing to do and they would become invisible and disappear. But aging with power is an extension of yourself, your soul, your intention. And I, you know, clearly said like thinking about sleep for sure, which is 50% of the pie, meditation, diet, exercise, loving yourself, is the best way to age with power and to be relevant. Don't give it up to somebody else. I mean, if you have a daughter, it doesn't mean she now lives your life for you and you live through her. You support her and be an example of how she should age with power instead of living through her youth that you did already. Like why? So be the example for how you show your daughter or other women what that means. And you truly are an example. Norma, thank you so much. I really appreciate your time. My pleasure. Thank you so much. After I got off my call with Norma, I started to think about the kind of woman I'd like to be when I get to my 70s, 80s, or maybe even beyond maybe 120. Obviously, I'd still like to be working or at least contributing to ideas, even if Hobie jokes that he'd be thrilled if I retired tomorrow. Beyond that, I have to look to the closest example I have of a woman in her 70s, my mother. My mom has dieted all my life. And over the past few years, as I've begun to work through my own issues with food, I've realized how many specific behaviors and insecurities we share. I still remember the first time I saw my mom hide cookies in her pocket on a bad day. Now, as an adult, I often find myself sneaking food to deal with stress. It's a bond that we share, forged in pain and sharpened by society. My mom's relationship with food has evolved over the course of her life, and I'd say she is in a much better place now than she was when I was a child. But she's still dieting at 70. There are so many things about my mom that I want to see in myself, so many gorgeous details of her life that I want to fold into my own story. But that is not one of them. I want to go back to Marsha for a second. Toward the end of her conversation, she told me the story about Dr. Seuss that really struck me. Dr. Seuss had this great book called The Sneetches. It is one of the best, and actually everybody listening should just go and buy The Sneetches to remind themselves um, about you know, fashion and trends and, and how, how there's an industry in making people feel like they're not good enough because they don't have the latest thing. And 
Dr. Seuss called this really early on with the Sneetches. It's a story about these creatures who live on beaches called Sneetches and how some of them have stars on their bellies and other ones don't. And the ones who have stars on their bellies feel superior because they have this star on their belly. And the ones who don't decide, you know what, we're going to get stars on our bellies too. And there's somebody who comes along with a star belly machine. The ones who had stars in the first place want to get those removed. So the same guy comes along with a star belly remover and is making all of this money off of telling people that what they have isn't good enough. And, you know, Dr. Seuss, when was he active? You know, his most of his writing, I think, was in the 60s or the 70s. But I think he saw it coming, just like he, with the Lorax, saw global warming coming. And it was, you know, just very wise to call out that, you know, you always think that you need something else, but you don't. And usually what's you is, you know, right there in front of you and you can you can kind of um, climb onto it early on and you don't always need to be switching around because that's not necessarily what's going to make you happy. I remember that Dr. Seuss book vaguely, but I am certain I never would have thought to connect it to my body image without Marsha's help. It's true though, there are so many restrictions we put on ourselves. How much we weigh, how old we are, how old we look, that are just arbitrary. By 2035, people 65 and older will outnumber people 18 and under for the first time in U.S. history. I won't be one of them, not yet, but I'll be a lot closer. And my sincere hope is that by 2035, this episode will feel a little dated. I hope we see more and more women starting new careers and building businesses without fear of judgment as their fourth, fifth, sixth act. I want to earn my place amongst these women. I want to stand proudly and unafraid in my own lived experience and wear my years as a symbol of expertise, not a liability. Remember when I said I wondered what I could accomplish if I didn't spend so much time and energy on what I look like? They say with age comes wisdom. So maybe as I get older, I will finally be able to make that exchange. I know I'm only getting better, smarter, more experienced, more empathetic, less afraid. So are my friends. So are the women I admire. And my goal is to remind myself that I don't need to prove that to anybody. As Eleanor Roosevelt once said, what other people think about me is none of my business. Maybe if I could really believe that, I mean really believe that, I could take the power back from the small-minded minority that believes my value is tied to how young I can look. Talking Body is hosted by me, Amy Porterfield. The show is produced and edited by Chelsea Harfouche with production support from Sterling Coates. Episodes are written and researched by Chelsea Harfouche Celia Ties and Amy Porterfield. Cameron Berkman is our executive producer. Special thanks to all the women who participated in the interview and research portion of this podcast. Talking Body is a 3% chance production.